If you have your outline, pull that out. You'll see at the top, it says, One Nation Above God. And um, Friday, I had the opportunity to pray for the San Joaquin Sheriff's Office for the promotion of their um, officers or deputies, as well as the swearing-in process. And so they had a ceremony down there. I was privileged to come and, and, and pray. And um, it was interesting, the irony um, that struck me as we were reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. Somebody came, led us with the Pledge of Allegiance, and then, and then the National Anthem. And so you all remember the Pledge of Allegiance. You probably uh, memorized it or learned it, kindergarten, first grade. Remember, um, I pledge allegiance to the flag the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation. And I paused at those words, under God. It it just struck me. Are we? And I tried to say it again, and it was one nation, and I couldn't. Because truth be told, it feels like we are now one nation who thinks we are above God. And with what our land and maybe popular opinion has now dictated, and what our Supreme Court justices have now set into motion, you have to wonder, are we still a nation under God or a nation who feels like we're above God? A nation that has been founded upon godly principles and 230, 40 years into that where we've been following this word and and, and thousands, thousands of years in, in human history have followed the principles and now those principles are just going by the wayside. And you have to say that in honesty, we are a nation now above God or at least in our own minds and hearts, a nation above God. Because very clearly our courts have put us into that kind of a category. And, and let me just remind us, it cannot be overstated enough the value that God and His church and religion and moral values and Judeo-Christian moral values have played in making the United States of America a great, great country. That cannot be overstated. That role in our history. In fact, um, there's a video I'm going to show that I've gotten four or five different people have sent me it, and so I I decided, you know what, we we just have to show this. It's by a business uh, professor at at Harvard Business School, over one million hits on YouTube. Um, uh, And this, listen to what this great academic mind says about what role religion has played in the United States and uh, some of the consequences of where we are right now. Go ahead and take a look at this. Some time ago, I had a conversation with a Marxist economist from China. He was coming to the end of a Fulbright Fellowship here in Boston. And I asked him if he had learned anything that was surprising or unexpected. And without any hesitation, he said, yeah, I had no idea how critical religion is to the functioning of democracy. The reason why democracy works, he said, is not because the government was designed to oversee what everybody does. But rather, democracy works because most people, most of the time, voluntarily choose to obey the law. And in your past, most Americans attended a church or a synagogue every week. 
and they were taught there by people who they respected. My friend went on to say that Americans followed these rules because they had come to believe that they weren't just accountable to society, they were accountable to God. My Chinese friend heightened a vague but nagging concern I've harbored inside that as religion loses its influence over the lives of Americans, what will happen to our democracy? Where are the institutions that are going to teach the next generation of Americans that they too need to voluntarily choose to obey the laws? Because if you take away religion, you can't hire enough police. Thought-provoking, isn't it? Very. In fact, the second president of the United States, John Adams, said this. He said, our Constitution was made only for moral and religious people. He said, it's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And you think about where we are today in our country. And the hinge that we are now turning on. Because now we live in a times when clearly people, and even our own government itself, doesn't see itself as being under God's right or wrong, but instead of being above it. Instead, redefining what is right and wrong. And so I'm not going to take the time to go into the whole homosexual agenda. If you were here a few weeks ago, before the decision, I I gave two messages on that. Um, I challenge you to go back and listen to those if you do not remember them or if you were not here. It was on June 7th and June 14th, um, where we really covered a lot of this basis. But today, my intention is to bring a sense of direction and a sense of next step. Um, As we live in the days that are getting darker and darker and darker. And yet, in the midst of that, you've got to know when the world gets darker, your Christian life needs to shine brighter. In fact, it does. I, I mean, God's word can shine brighter with the darker it gets. Let me give you just an example of this. Um, this last week um, on Friday, I had the privilege of doing a vow renewal for uh, a couple in our church, uh, Tillis and Mila Kalanod. And I'm not sure if they're here this morning yet. Are they, are they up there in the balcony? Nope, not at the service. Um, but, but, but they had been married um, back in 2010. And when they got married, it was not based upon Christian principles. Christ was not the foundation. In fact, they were not Christians. They did not have Christ in their lives at that time. And they came to a place about a couple years into it where they were feeling like divorce is the only option. In fact, they sat down with me this last week before the ceremony, and we talked about things. And what Tillis said, he, he just said, you can share this at the ceremony. And so I did, and share it with the church. Actually, he didn't say I could, but I'm going to, all right? He said, he said, he said I, was, I was drinking heavily. I was checked out. I thought I was not going to get to see my kids anymore. I thought I was just going to be a child support dad, and that was going to be my role in life. And Mila said she had driven to the parking lot of the county office to file the papers for divorce. And while she was in the parking lot, she couldn't get out of her car. And she heard a voice that said, give it one more chance. Give it one more shot. And the two of them came together, and she approached him, and, and they both said, you know what? We haven't tried God. We need to do that. 
And they knew some people who came to our crosswalk service here at First Baptist. And, and Mila came in first, and she enjoyed what she was uh, experiencing and hearing and making some changes in her life. But Tilla still wouldn't come. She got involved in a Bible study with Chris and Stacy Kahn. And uh, Tillis wouldn't come at first. And then he came, but he would sit there, and he would be uncertain about these people. And he would kind of sit back and wasn't fully engaged. But when he heard the message of Jesus Christ, and when he opened up his own Bible and saw what a difference God makes in people's lives... And when he saw that modeled in a group, in a community group of fellowship of believers, they, they said, we need to do something about our lives and where we are at. We need to make a radical change. And, and if you met them today, in fact, I want to have them share sometime in the near future, you would not even know what they experienced in the last couple of years. Because as they stood here before all their family and friends, <clears throat> they said the only reason, the only reason that they are here, the only reason that they are still married, is what God has done in their life through Jesus Christ. He has radically changed them. He has made them brand new people. They, uh, she has a, a 15-year-old son and about a 12, 13-year-old a daughter, and they both gave testimony, tear-jerking testimonies to say, Mom and Dad, thank you for keeping our family together. Thank you for doing this God's way. I mean, it was so much fun to see that. In, in a profession that I'm in where I have to do so much marital and even pre-divorce counseling where people are headed, it's so much fun to be on this side and say, look at the change God has made. And if you are here today and you're experiencing that, know that. That your marriage has not gone on too far where you cannot have it healed by what Jesus Christ has done for us. You can step forward, make that. I'd love the chance to get to talk to you. My wife is down here as well. We'd love to get the chance to talk with you or pray with you. Any of our staff would be able to do that. Mila and Tillis are now doing it God's way. They have transformed the way they do things. In fact, she's no longer working. She's a stay-at-home mom. They said well, our values were all off. We're, we're going in the wrong direction. Let's make a total difference because they have two four-year-old twins that they want to be parents to and, and just do things differently. Those are people who are now doing it right. Let me show you what God's word, though, says about people who are doing it their own way, who are doing it wrong. In fact, if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 1. And let's draw the contrast to what the world says and how they should live. Here's what it says in Romans 1, verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And I throw the word all in there because Paul said that. I emphasize that because we're not just talking about same-sex marriage and relations, but any sin that is against God and his word is going to take us down the wrong path. He says, Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that, may, that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were, what's the word there? They were what? They were darkened. Dark world. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, 
to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Paul says, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to, and there's the word, to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Now, that's an interesting term. We don't know how much more evil we can do. We'll just invent some evil. Let's just kind of do that. Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And that phrase, they give approval to, was really the words that gave me a pit in my stomach this week. As I think about what our Supreme Court has done and what so many in our world now have said, that what God calls wrong Our culture says it's okay, it's normal, it's healthy, it's right. And so how do we respond to the June 26th Supreme Court ruling? As as Christ followers and as followers of his word, I want to offer you a couple of fronts that we can um, battle against. And so if you have your outline up at the top, there's a couple of words in a box. And I'm very thankful for um, Pastor Rob Renau uh, from Wheaton, Illinois, who I picked up part of this message from and just thought he nailed it on the head. So I want to review some of these thoughts right here. But there's a sense of a personal ministry as well as a cultural ministry. Understand, we're all called to bring the light, the love, the hope, and the truth of Jesus Christ to a dark, dark world. But think of it on these two fronts in your own personal lives. And the first one we wrote down here was the personal ministry. Think of that having a sense of compassion. A sense of compassion for the people you know, the people who are in your lives, the personal friends, the work associates and such. But then also understand that you are called to a cultural ministry, and that is a sense of justice in our culture. A sense of standing up for the truth that God wants to be communicated in our world. And so the verse I wrote down there was out of John 1.14 where we see it talks about the Word became flesh. That's Jesus Christ. He became flesh and He dwelt among us. And we see His glory, the glory of the Son of the Father. And then this little phrase talks about Jesus was full of grace and truth. Filled with grace and truth. Which is how I believe we are supposed to come at this issue as well. 
that in the personal sense with people that we know, we have this great sense of compassion for them. And in the cultural sense, we need to stand up with a sense of justice for our world. Let's talk first about the personal, the, the compassion that we're supposed to have. These are, again, are the people, the family, the friends, the work associates that we know who struggle with this same-sex issue, who struggle with this lifestyle. Some who are committing to just jump right into the lifestyle. Others maybe who just struggle with it and have not yet walked over the line in that endeavor. And because we know God's Word and we know what goes against God's Word causes pain and hurt and destruction in people's lives, these people who stand before us that we know personally should break our hearts. Our hearts should weep for them because we don't want to see the destruction happen to their lives. After the service three weeks ago when I shared um, about the same-sex issue and what we're battling with, a father came down, and I could see the look in his face. He said, my daughter struggles with this issue greatly. Another mom approached me. said, my child has had multiple, multiple, multiple partners in the same-sex area. And it's not bringing her happiness. It never will, because the mom knows the truth. The daughter, though, thinks that truth is out there. The gal emailed me about her sister. And so these are, these are specific situations that have touched our hearts and our lives right here in this room. And our hearts break for these people. We should have the compassion of Jesus to love them. Not love what they do, but to love them. And always responding in love. Responding with the sense as Jesus responded in, in John chapter 1. As he lived full of grace. We want to be people of grace. We want to be people of compassion. We want to be people of love. But with truth as well. And that's where our cultural ministry comes in as well. That we would be people who would stand up for justice. That we'd be people who stand up for God's truth. Letting it be known that we stand upon the truth of God's word. And that that truth is that God defines marriage. Not a court system. Not nine supreme uh, court justices. Not a country coming together and thinking that they know things above God. But that God defines marriage for us. The truth that states marriage is between one man and one woman and no court is going to change that no matter what law we have in place now but God has already put it into practice in this word and God has already spoken it and so we need to stand up for that justice in a bold way because understand this this is not the end target or, or, or the, the marriage issue is not the end target the end target is really God's word they're coming to discredit God's word. They're coming to rule God out and just say he does not belong in our society. And think about this. 20 years ago, you might not have thought that they would even have gone this far. But you see where our culture is now. And you can see the headways that are being made and have been made to where we are today. Because perhaps we have not stood up enough in this cultural area to stand for God's truth and justice. And so, you know, whether it be in the public realm or whether it be in your own personal private meetings with people, you know the argument. You've probably heard them already. People will say, well, you know, you Christians, you just say that, you know, the homosexuals or that, that they're just wired wrong and, and they need to be fixed. That's the Christian position, that, that they're just wired wrong and they need to be fixed. Folks, you know what the Christian position is? That we're all wired wrong and we all need to be fixed. Okay? 
that we all have had sin in our hearts and our lives. I mean, any male in here knows when you hit puberty, it's like, woo, okay, look what's out here. And even, yeah, whistle all you want, huh? Yeah. And you know the struggles, even if you're a happily married man going down Pacific Avenue and the billboards that are up there are on the internet and the struggles and the pop-ups that come and the temptations that come, you know you're wiring. You know you need to be fixed by the love of Jesus and the correction of Jesus from, from what God has called us to do. Women, you face the same struggles uh, in a little different way. You might face struggles like inferiority and allowing other people to dictate how good you are and, and how you look and, and, and their value of you instead of what God says and God's word. We, we all have the wiring that has gone wrong. In the Garden of Eden, that sin bomb went off and we are all now wired wrong. We all need to be fixed. That's why it says... In Romans 5, 8. Look what it says up here. I think it's coming up here. Here it comes. There it is. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. What does it say? Christ died for us. When our wiring got mixed up. We all born into that now. Originally, no, but sin came along and we're now all born into that. We need to be rewired. And so the gospel message, not just for one segment, but for all of society, is that God wants to rewire all of us. And look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. We shared this verse a few months ago. But it talks about, and I won't read over all the things, but you can see them, sexual immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuality, greedy drunkards. And then look at the underlying words. And such were some of you. That's what you were like before, but now you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who changes you. He's the one who makes a difference. And I hope and pray that you could communicate that biblical position and that you would be able to do this in grace and truth, that you would be as wise as a serpent but as gentle as a dove as you communicate this in grace and truth, grace and truth, grace and truth. Because our culture is coming at this. And there may be times when you need to step up more boldly than maybe you're even comfortable with. But our culture is, 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 is throwing this in our faces. Let me give you an example of this. This is in a school district, not of our state, but of another state. And a parent got a hold of this, and I saw this. Incoming freshmen to the high school were asked questions as they were being interviewed, it was on a survey that they had to write down. The number one question on there, the first, very first question was this to high school freshmen. Is it possible that you think you are a heterosexual only because you have not experienced same gender activity? Very first question to these freshmen coming in. Let me read that again. Is it possible... Let me plant the seed, right? Is it possible that you think you're a heterosexual only because you have not experienced same-sex uh, relationships is basically what it's saying. Folks, that is perverse. That is child abuse. And we need to stand up to that because now that is going to become law that those things are going to be able to be said because it is looked on as being natural and normal. We have to be a light in this darkness. We have to see our ministry beyond just a personal ministry, but one to our culture that is also seeking justice. 
realized this decision at the end of June with the Supreme Court, with the legalized same-sex marriage, isn't the floodgates. I mean, that's not when the floodgates opened up. You know when the floodgates opened up? It wasn't back in June. It was all the way back in 1973. Roe versus Wade, the abortion issue. And now I've killed millions and millions and millions of babies. What the Bible says is murder. I mean, the floodgates opened up in the early 60s when God was taken out of schools and no prayer in the schools. Now, we, we, are, we are now 100 feet underwater as we accept these new decisions that have been made. So what do we do? Well, you look at the, the, the abortion issue. That's why we have pregnancy help centers. Christians stepping up to say, no, we still value life and we value God's word and so we will help. And so I'm anxious to see what will come of these days that we're in now and how Christians, again, need to step up and make a difference even in the same-sex area. Called to care on a personal level with grace, on a cultural level with truth, with justice. Because as the days get darker, God's word needs to shine brighter. And let me challenge you in this. Like no other time in history, you, Christian, need to live out your faith. If there is one thing that I desire as your pastor, it's that you would live out your faith and that your faith would would make every decision you make be based and passed through this word. Every decision you make, from the person you marry, to your career, to just everyday little decisions of how you spend your money, to how you raise your children, everything will be based upon what does God want me to do? What do I do as a Christ follower? That would be my desire. My number one goal as your pastor is to have you fall more in love with Jesus and have that relationship be 365 days a year, 24-7 hours a day, that it would not just be a one-hour type of thing, it would not just be a one-day thing, but that the world would know that we are in love with Jesus and we live differently because of it. These days of cultural, easy Christianity, and they are over. It is over. Some of you might say, and some already have said, Pastor, if you speak out in the church, then the church is going to lose its its tax-exempt status. You know what Jesus said about that? You know what King Jesus, the one that we're supposed to follow? He said, you can't serve both God and money. So that's already been decided. If we lose our tax-exempt status, who cares? In fact, if we do... If we do, I am sure our church would just step up and and give over and beyond whatever we have to now owe to the government in those areas because we will not allow the, 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 the gospel message to be kept behind veiled types of things. We will be bold about what we share if it's in God's word. That's how we share it, if it's in God's word. Second set of people may say, well, pastor, you know what? If you share this, you could become imprisoned again. King Jesus already took care of that. He said, don't fear those who kill the body. Fear only the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That's what he said. And so that's what we have to follow. I've already had some people say, hey, I'll visit you in prison. I say, come on in. Let's get in there together. Let's have a party in there, huh? This is not the time to shy away from gospel truth. 
But we have to speak that truth with a sense of, of justice, a sense of truth, but then also grace. Also grace. We need to become that embodiment of grace and truth. And so in the remaining few minutes, and I know our time is escaping already, flip your outline over. Let me just give you three bullet points just to share. Because I, I hope you don't go away discouraged, but go away with a game plan that we're putting together here. And the first thing to remember is this. In these dark days that we are in, God is still in control and on his throne. Ah, about 15% of you got that. Let me say that again. In these dark days, God is still in control and on his throne. Amen. Amen. And we need to remember that. That needs to be something that we take up every day and remember and say that, okay, no human court has the authority to redefine marriage. The Supreme Court verdict does not change that God has ordained the reality of marriage be between one man and one woman. The governments in this world are still under God's authority. Amen? Amen. He has just allowed these things to happen, and we don't always understand why. We don't always understand God's timing, but I'll tell you what, Romans 1 sure answers a lot for us, doesn't it? That when you want to go that way, God will let that happen and you reap the consequences of your sin. Unfortunately, we're in the midst of that. And we're in a country that now has entered into that. And it's a hard place to be. And yet we're called to be different. We're called to be different. And so the second point that I want to bring up is the fact that religious liberty is not promised in the Bible. Please hear that, because so many of us have lived in this country where religious liberty, we think it's a part of our, our, our rights. Biblically, it certainly was not. And we're seeing that more and more in the world today. In America, the church has enjoyed unprecedented freedom of religion. Unprecedented. But now we're in a new normal. And we've seen that across the world. We, we, we've seen that with ISIS and things that are going on overseas and the persecution of Christians. And I don't know if that will come here to the United States. I don't know when that will come to the United States. But we're called to, to stand out and be set apart. Look at the verse out of um, 1 Peter 2.9. Peter says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of, what's the word there? Darkness, and into his marvelous light. You know what the King James Version says in that one? It says you are a peculiar people. That's us. We're peculiar. We're different. We stand out. We stand out as light amongst the darkness. We stand out as, as salt in a dying and decaying world. And in this day of practical atheism and moral relativism, which is really where we are right now, fairness and equality and tolerance are now the new normal. That's the new standard. It is not God's word that we base things upon. It's fairness and equality and tolerance. And so we live at odds with the world. And the days of socially acceptable and comfortable Christianity are over. Three. Marriage, however, is not the ultimate battleground. 
It's the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the ultimate battle that we fight for. Not marriage. That's not the ultimate battleground. The battleground is the gospel. And so please hear me on this. Please don't replace patience and love and prayer with bitterness and hatred and politics. We cannot get off target. Our mission here is still out of Matthew 28, where we are called to help people take their next step in knowing Jesus and making him known. Amen? That is our battle cry. That's what we still have to do. We are still going after that goal. Laws are temporal, but souls are eternal. We are called to win souls for Christ. And our witness is never so strong as when we're tested by this. As when we stand up and we have to stand up. And let me remind you, we can be biblical without being bombastic, okay? We can be biblical. We can live in the right way. We, we, we can love people, but not their sin. And so our greatest need today is not to make America a Christian nation. That, that, that's gone. America called a Christian nation. But our goal today is, is, is to help America be a nation of Christians. A nation of Christ followers. A nation of people who do things differently, who are peculiar. That's why I was so thrilled to get to stand with Mila and Tillis and their vow renewal because they were saying, we're, we're doing this different. In fact, they, they, they told me some of their friends think they're weird now. Yeah, they're peculiar. They're doing it differently. But when it works, when we show that and our lives display that, the world wants to know more about that. So how do we do this? Very quickly. Romans chapter 1. Look at the two verses right before where we started in 18. Look at verses 16 and 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's the power. And for us as Christians to step up and say we're not ashamed. This is going to try you more than it ever has tried you before. You're going to have to stand up. You cannot hide in your workplaces any longer. You cannot hide in your neighborhoods and just kind of float along with the culture. People are going to ask you questions, and you you need to either be a chameleon and not stand up for what God's Word says, or you have to say, well, you know what? I believe a little differently in this. Because the culture's not taking us down the good road. It swung us over to the wrong side. Again, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it's written, the righteous shall live by what? By faith. And so we trust in God. We trust in God. It's on our coins still. Maybe not much longer, but we trust in God. When you say that Pledge of Allegiance, when you read on the coinage of what the trust is, I pray that you can boldly say we are still under God. I pray that you can still say we trust in God because as a Christian, that's where we come from. And if that looks different to the society, then that looks different. And so the truth be told, what we need to do personally is make sure we are living the way God would have us live. That's when our lights shine brightest. And so let me remind you of this verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And if you, just to close our service, would you read this with me? Let's read this together. If my people 
who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know what that tells me? In the Old Testament, God already had to deal with this kind of an issue. This is not new to him. He's been down this road before with his people, the Israelites. You may say, well, Americans, we've been his people. Well, we've done the same thing the Israelites have done. We've gone our own way. We've done our own thing. And back in the Old Testament, God said, here's what I'm asking you to do. And so today, that's how we're going to end our time together. We're just going to pause, and we're going to pray, and we're going to ask the Lord if he would also heal our land. Let's pray. And folks, as we approach our our God, um, if you want to stay in your seats and pray, you are welcome to do that. If at any time, as we play some instrumental music and also sing the last song, if you want to come up here at the altar and, and pray, you are more than welcome to do that. Whatever way draws you closer to God to be able to pray for our country and our nation. God, words can't express um, sometimes what we feel and what we've gone through in the last few weeks in our country because we've seen some ramifications of what this will lead to. And so, Lord, we just, we just open our hearts now as we plead for our country, as we plead for the people in our country. God, I thank you for this church and the praying power of it. I was reminded of an elderly saint in our church who said, I'm going to pray and fast all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, all day Thursday for our country. Folks, maybe you'd like to join her as well. Praying for our country. God, we pray that you would heal our land. Hear our prayers now. we want to be a church under God praying for a country that would again see its roots and be under you not above you so as we continue to pray even now pray throughout this week this month this year Lord we come on behalf of our country the leaders the decision makers personally our own hearts and our own lives in line with you as well God, we know that the cross makes a difference. We know that the cross changes lives. And so we will live changed and pray for the same throughout our land. 
even now as we continue to worship. God, thank you for these moments in praise.